Well, thank you, Craig and Jen. I know I always look forward to the worship time where we get a chance to sing praises to our Lord and really a a time to really meditate on God's Word because God's Word is in each one of those songs that is sung. Well, I want to welcome you to the Rock Community Church. And as Craig said, my name is Pastor Bill Morris, and I'm filling in uh, for Pastor John. He's away today. He's down at the Couples Conference. Well, I get the privilege of all privileges. Uh, I get an opportunity to open my Bible along with you, and we get to study God's Word together, don't we? And that, what, a, what a privilege that is. So what I'd like for you to write now is to turn to James, the second chapter. If you'll turn to the back of the Bible, you'll find a large book called Hebrews. And if you'll go just to the right of Hebrews, you'll find the book of James. If you've gone to First and Second Peter, you've gone too far, so go back to the left. And we're going to be speaking from James, the second chapter, verses 14 through 20. And I'm going to be talking about four characteristics that make up genuine faith. Four characteristics that make up genuine faith. And I've titled my message, Faith and Works. You can't live, you can't have one without the other. Faith and Works. Pastor John has been doing a marvelous, marvelous job of taking us through those first two chapters of Ephesians. And James is saying basically the same thing that Pastor John mentioned last week. Remember from that great passage from Ephesians, the second chapter, verses 8 through 10. James is going to be speaking to us today that our faith, our faith and the grace of God is why we're saved. Faith is the root of our salvation, but the evidence of our salvation is our good works, the good deeds, how we live our lives out each day. James is going to say to us today that your faith, being a genuine faith, lives it out. It is active. It is alive. James is going to say that your faith is not dead. It's not useless. It's making an impact on other people. And it's making an impact on you, on how you live your life. Pastor John did a marvelous job, like I said, from Ephesians 2.8. Remember how we are saved? In Ephesians 2.8 and 9 it says, For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In other words, we're not saved by our good works or our deeds. We're saved by the grace of God, as Pastor John taught last week. We're saved through our faith in Jesus Christ. But the Apostle Paul didn't stop there. He said, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. If you look at the Greek word workmanship, it's a piece of art. Picture God as the artist, and He has taken us, and He is molding us into the people that God has called us to become. Do you remember when God started first drawing you to Himself? Jesus spoke those words in John 6, 44. He said these words, 
No man can come unto me unless the Father first draw him. And when God started to draw himself to you, that's when you accepted Jesus into your heart. Remember when he appeared to Nicodemus? He says, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus went, what do you mean born again? Can I enter my mother's womb, remember, a second time? Jesus was saying, no. You've already had a physical birth, Nicodemus. Now you're going to have a spiritual birth. And when it takes place, it's going to make a difference in your life. You're going to be following me the rest of your life. And that's what James is going to be talking about. For you see, when God comes into our heart, each one of us sits here right now that has done that. We're new creatures, it says. You know, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, For any man who is in Christ Jesus, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. You begin your walk with your Lord. And He makes a difference in your life, in the person that you are right now. And many of you have been walking with the Lord for many years. And James is going to say that your good works and your good deeds is an evidence of what God has done in your heart. Because you know what happened when you got saved? His Spirit entered into your life. Remember 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and that you are not your own, that you have from God and you are not your own, but you've been bought with a price. He says, therefore, I want you to glorify God. I want you to glorify God. I want you to glorify me, God says. See, when the Holy Spirit comes within us, as Paul wrote, and as Pastor John taught us from Ephesians 1.13, remember, this is what it says, having believed. See, it's already happened in the past tense. You've already believed. That's why you're here so faithfully each week. You were sealed in Him with that Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit has come within you and who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view of the redemption to God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. Yes, you've been sealed and your inheritance is secure. You don't have to work. No, you just work. You serve the Lord and you're the person that you are because of what God has done in your heart. You do it because you love Him. You've already been saved. I'm glad to see some young people. As I look around, I see some young people in, in the audience today. And I want to challenge you young people. You're going back to school. And some of you, you're young and you're saying, what is my purpose in life? What is my purpose in life? As I, even as I go back to school. I would tell you that just like it says here in 1 Corinthians, it says, you young people, I want you to know God, to know God and the power of His resurrection. He says, I want you to know me and I want you to glorify me.
when you young people go back to school in just a week or so, you're going to live your life through Christ and have Christ live within you. And you can have a tremendous impact on your friends. You don't even have to say a word. Because His Spirit is dwelling within you and the fruits of His Spirit are going to draw out, which I'm going to be sharing with you in just a minute. But you know, a lot of us adults, we say, what, you know, what purpose is there in our life? Whether you'll be a businessman or a businesswoman, whether you'll be a lawyer or a teacher or a mechanic, when you go to that place of business, God says, I want you to know me intimately and I want you to glorify me in everything that you do today. You that are single, God speaks to you. You that are widowed, God speaks to you. If you're divorced, God is speaking to you. In 1 Corinthians 7, He says, you're no longer distracted. You can serve God fully in your singleness. It's a living faith. Faith is a living faith. It is active, James says. He's going to tell us it shouldn't be dead or useless. It should not be dead or useless. I want you to turn, before we read, before we read from James, I want us to turn back to the left to Titus. And when you look in Titus, he's going to say exactly the same thing that Pastor John taught from Ephesians 2.8. I just want you to see how it's reconfirmed in the Scriptures. So, from James, from James, I want you to go back to Hebrew, then to a small book called Philemon, and then you'll come across Titus. If you've gone to First and Second Timothy, you've gone too far. In Titus 3, verses 5 through 7, once again, Paul says, you're justified by faith. But that faith that justifies produces good works in you. Faith alone saves, Paul says. But that faith that saves is not alone. Listen to how similar this reading is to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of our deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being, look at that phrase, justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He makes it very clearly that we're saved by grace alone, by the faith in in Jesus Christ. But he doesn't stop there. Look what it says in verse 8. He tells us in verse 8 that after we believe, we're to engage in good deeds. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. Maintain good works. You young people, again, if you find somebody at your school that's not kind of fitting in, you know, you go up to them and be kind and, and try to introduce yourself to them. Try to make a difference in their life. You know, saving faith is alive 
It's an action. It's, it's working with other people and other people seeing a difference that it's being made in your life. You've all looked at Hebrews, the 11th chapter. It's called the Hall of Fame of Faith. And if you look into that chapter, you'll see 19 times it says, by faith, so-and-so did this. By faith, Noah did this. By faith, Rahab did this. By faith, Abraham. Let's use Abraham as an example of how faith is alive and it's an action. In Genesis 15:6, it says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. So here he is walking with the Lord at the age of 85. And then in Genesis, the 22nd chapter, this is approximately maybe 30 years later, that's when God instructed Abraham to take his son Isaac to Mount Moriah and offer his son as a sacrifice. And you remember that the substitute, the ram, was caught in the thicket. And Abraham didn't have to sacrifice his son. But that's the kind of faith that Abraham had. It was, a, it was a faith that was alive. It was an action. He trusted in his God completely. And you know that, that ram that was caught in the thicket is, is typical of what Jesus Christ, he was our substitute. So our faith, so when we read this today, remember, James is saying that faith is the root of our salvation. The evidence of our salvation is our good works and our deeds, how we live our lives. So read with me from James, the second chapter, and verse 14 to verse 20. He starts out, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled. And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is alone. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? If you were not reading that carefully, and if you don't understand the context that is in, Some people could be led to believe that James is trying to teach that we're saved by works. But that is not his intention. His intention is to show you that the evidence of your faith, the evidence of your faith is the good deeds, how you live your life. In fact, to point that out, let's find out a little bit about James. So before we break down and look at the four characteristics... Let's turn back to Acts. Remember when Pastor John took us to Acts? It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. And I want you to turn to Acts, the 15th chapter, and you will see where James is coming from 
if you, after you listen to, to what he was doing at this council, he was at a council in Jerusalem, and there were Judaizers and uh, Pharisees that were saying, in order for you to be saved, you have to keep the law of Moses, and you have to be circumcised. And so here's Peter, Paul, Barnabas, and James. They're there saying, hey, no, it's not by our works. It's by the grace of God alone. And these four men there are trying to clear up these Pharisees and these Judaizers saying that you are saved through faith alone. That our good deeds, all that is, is just who we are. It's just who we are. So listen to verse 1. Look at verse 1. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. See, they wanted you to keep the law, the custom of Moses, and they wanted you to be circumcised. So here he says, listen to Peter's words in verse 11. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are, the same way those Gentiles are. And then Paul and Barnabas agree with Peter in verse 12. And then in verse 13 through 21, you can read how that James defends Peter's position on how that salvation is by grace alone. So now, as you turn back, to the book of James, we see that the point that James is trying to make is that our faith should be alive and active. And he starts off by two questions. His introductory statement is found in verse 14. And he asks two questions. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? In the Greek, it's a rhetorical question that has an answer of that is negative. No. What he is saying here is that your faith all by itself is not evidence that you're saved. He says, show me your works. If you're truly saved, your life will truly show it. He says, what use is it? In fact, as you study these 13 verses, 10 times James has faith and works together. And then he enters in. Verses 15 through 20, he talks about the four characteristics of true, genuine faith. So let's take a look at them this morning. The main point that he's making in this passage is that faith without works is dead. He brings that point time and time again. Look at verse 17. It says, Even so faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Look at verse 20. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless or dead in the King James Version? Look at verse 26. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also is faith without works is dead. As we enter into these four characteristics, I think of uh, genuine faith, kind of like calories. You can't see them, 
but you can see the results, can't we? We can see the results of genuine faith. We can see the fruit in people's lives. Every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. There's a passage of Scripture I want you to write down. It's found in Galatians 5.22. When Christ comes into our heart and He takes up residence, if we will just yield to Him, the fruits of this Spirit will, will just come out. Galatians 5.22 says these words. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do you realize that those were the characteristics of Jesus Christ those 33 years that He was here on this earth? And God is calling each one of us to deny ourselves and to take on the fruits of the Spirit. Can you imagine if each one of you in your daily walk with the Lord and you come in people with contact with people at work and you young people, you guys that come in contact with the kids at school, they see in you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Husbands, can you believe what the man of God we would be to our wives and vice versa? We don't even have to say a word to people. They can see it in our lives. You say, Bill, I can't do that. Well, I know you can't. You have to depend upon the Holy Spirit. You have to empty yourself. Remember what Paul said? I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What is your perfect and acceptable will of God? He says, I want you to die to yourself, and I want you to be, be transformed. Remember, you're a new creation, aren't you? You are a new creation. Remember, there was a physical birth and there was a spiritual birth. In my physical birth, my father, Harold Morris, 23 chromosomes, my mother, Dorothy, 46 chromosomes. On those 46 chromosomes are thousands of genes. And those thousands of genes are made up of DNA. And he is my earthly father, and that will never change. They can do a, they'll do a blood test, and they can check the DNA and know that that's my earthly father. His spirit, God's spirit, is our DNA test of who we are. And God says, I want you to have, I want you to have those fruits of the spirit. And you can make a difference. So let's take a look at those four characteristics that make up genuine faith. Here's the first one. It's found in verses 15 and 16. It's not indifferent. It is genuinely involved. Faith is not indifferent. It is genuinely involved. Look what it says. If a brother or sister is without clothing... And in need of daily food. Do you know what that says in the King James? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute. 
of daily food. And one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, be filled. Yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? What use is that? Do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples? I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison. You came to me. And his disciples said, when did we do this? To the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. That's an active faith, isn't it? That's a faith that's alive. He, they, when you see a need, in Matthew 10:42, Jesus again said, "Whoever in the name of a disciple." gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose the reward. If another Christian is in need, we respond and we help. Genuine faith wants to help and express itself in love. I think Ashley Montague said it well when she said, love is a series of acts by which, can, which one conveys to another the feeling that he is deeply involved with another person. That love is unconditional. And that love is supportive. It is genuine love con- conveys to the other person that you will never commit the supreme treason that one human being can commit against another. Namely, failure or desertion when you are most needed. I was convicted this week when I read and I was in my study studying 1 John 3, 16 through 18. And let me read it to you. And you can see how it ties in. It's not indifferent. It is genuinely involved. Listen to the words of the Apostle John. And you'll see why I was convicted. We know love by this that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Friday night, I was in my study, studying for the message that I was going to give last night and today. And Dolores and I got a phone call. And I was studying this passage of Scripture from verses 15 and 16. And there was a person on the line that was destitute, And Dolores and I had that person come over to my house. 
and God brought that person into my life, Bill, are you just loving in word and in truth? Or as J. Vernon McGee would say, are you meeting where the rubber meets the road? And that person came over to my house. You know, an illustration of false faith is here in verses 15 and 16. They say, go in peace, be warmed, be filled. See, it's all talk and no action. It's a common Jewish farewell. Go in peace, shalom. If nothing is done to fulfill the pressing need for warm clothes and satisfying food for that destitute person, we live in difficult times. You too may get that same call someday because we live in such difficult times. James would say to you, if you say that you have faith, what use is that if you're not living it out? Being in compassion ministry, I get a chance to see wonderful things going on at this church. Tremendous things going on at church. 42 people there to pray with somebody that's sick. A lady just had cancer. 14 people got up at 3 o'clock in the morning to be at the hospital to have prayer with her. A family of five and destitute. We had one women's Bible study group filled their pantry for two months. I see it. I see it so much at this church. What's the second characteristic? The second characteristic is found in verse 17. Faith is not independent, James is saying. It is in partnership. Listen to the words. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. If your faith isn't by itself. It's who you are. You live it out. He says, your faith is in partnership with good works. This does, when A.W. Tozer was speaking, he wasn't speaking of our church because I see it every week, how many people are really caring. I see people that have faith and works that go together, doing good deeds all the time. But listen to this church, and this was years ago. A.W. Tozer speaking. There is an evil which is in effect on Christianity may be more destructive than communism and liberalism combined. It is the glaring disparity between theology and practice among professing Christians. So wide is the gulf that separates theory from practice in the church that an inquiring stranger who chances upon both would scarcely dream any relation between the two of them. Any intelligent observer who heard the Sunday morning message and later watched the Sunday afternoon conduct of those who heard it, would conclude that he was observing two distinct and contrary religions. I don't see that here. What I see here, faith is not independent. It is in partnership. Verse 17. Well, what is the third characteristic? The third characteristic is found in verse 18. Faith is not invisible. It is on display. Faith is not invisible. It's on display. Listen to the words of James. But someone may well say, 
you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works. And I will show you my faith by my works. It's not invisible. The two words, it says it twice. Show me. Show me. That word show is deknuo in the Greek. It means to bring to light. It means to exhibit, to put it on display. Your faith is on display. In other words, you're just living out your faith. You're living out your faith. Matthew 7, 16 says, You will know them by their works. Why? Because you have a changed life. Remember what Paul said? Anyone who is in Christ, remember, you are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Let God begin to direct your life and then take on the fruits of the Spirit. I want to emphasize to you again. I want to challenge you in regards to the fruits of the Spirit. You don't have to do this, but I'm going to do this this week after I went over this. I'm going to take a post-it and I'm going to put it on my mirror when I get ready in the morning. And on there is going to be Galatians 5.22. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then I'm going to read that and I'm going to meditate on it. And then I'm going to go out and try to live those out day by day. By day. I got that idea from my wife. She has all these post-its with Scripture on the mirror. I don't know how she gets ready. She has to kind of go like this to look around all the different post-its. And one day I was just starting to read, and uh, I said, I'm going to do that. And I said, I'm going to put Galatians 5, you know, 22 up there. Um, there was some person that said, if you say that you believe like you should, why do you behave like you shouldn't? If you say that you're saved, why doesn't your life show it? I had a wonderful childhood uh, being raised by two Christian people. And you young people that are here today, if, if your mom and dad brought you, you are the most blessed kids in the world. You're the most blessed. My dad's mom faithfully brought me to church. And they taught me these different songs. And you have to be a certain age. You have to be about at my age to probably remember this. It, it goes something like this. If you're saved and you know it, say amen. Then you say amen. If you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. Then you would clap your hands. Sarah, you remember. <laughs> if you're saved and you know it, stomp your feet. You would stomp your feet. And then it got to the last verse and I was convicted. As an adult, I wasn't convicted as a child because I wasn't really paying that much attention. But if you're saved and you know it, then your life will truly show it. Then I ask myself a question, Bill, you know, does, does my life truly show it? Does my life truly show it? Am I a light to, to this world for Jesus Christ? I don't have to say a word and we can be a light if we take on the fruits of the Spirit. So we come to our last, we come to our last characteristic of genuine faith. Faith is not merely intellectual, but it's from the heart. It's not merely intellectual. 
It is from the heart. Look at verses 19 and 20. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? In the King James, that is dead. Our faith is more than just a mental assent to a group of facts about Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus Christ making a difference in our life and and coming in and dwelling in us. Because you see what he's saying here? That the demons, the demons know all about Jesus. They've got all the intellectual facts about Jesus. In fact, remember when Jesus was walking into the Garden of Gadarenes. And the demons were there, and and this is what they said. What business do we have with each other, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? They knew that Jesus was deity, that he was the Son of God. They knew that they were headed for torment. That's why it says here that they shudder, that they tremble, it says in the King James Version. But they didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that they didn't have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ that could make such a positive difference in other people's lives. James says, what use is it? At the very end there in verse 20, faith without works is useless. It is dead. In verse 16, he said, what use is that? In verse 14, it says, what use is it? If you have the King James, it says, what profit is there? It's from the original Greek, Ophelos. What benefit is there? What is there an advantage if we don't live out our faith to other people? And then he concludes in verse 26. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. That word dead in the Greek is nekros. It's from the original word nekos, which means corpse. Faith without works is dead. Whenever you find separation, you find death. When we go home to be with the Lord, our body stays here and our soul, spirit goes to be with the Lord. Yes, faith separated from works is death, he says. Great claims have been made about a corpse that is supposed to come alive. But if it does not move, if there are no vital signs, there's no heartbeat or pulse, it is still dead. In closing, I think John Calvin said it best. He said, It is faith alone that justifies. But faith that justifies can never be alone. D.L. Moody put it this way. Every Bible should be bound in shoe leather. You say, why? Why are we to be that way? Is it for our salvation? No. It's because of the work that God has done in our heart. We're going to live for Jesus. We're going to live for Jesus at school, in our workplace. We're going to take on the fruits of the Spirit. It's because of what God has done in our hearts. Listen to Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He's one of my favorite ministers. 
in the 1800s. I have most of his books. A, a powerful preacher. And he says it better than I can. Charles Haddon Spurgeon reminded his congregation that the Christian serves the Lord simply out of gratitude. He has no salvation to gain. Now, out of love to the God who chose him and who gave so great a price for his redemption. And I know this is your wish too. He desires to lay out himself entirely to his master's service. The child of God works not for life, but from life. He does not work to be saved. He works because he is saved. Yes, faith, it's not indifferent. It is genuinely involved. Yes, faith, it's not independent. It is in partnership. Faith, it's not invisible. It's on display for everyone to see. Faith, it is not merely intellectual, but it is from the heart. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you how it gives us understanding. Father, it's my prayer for all of us, especially for me, Father, that upon hearing your word, that I'll never, I just won't hear your word. Father, I want to be a doers of your word. Father, today, I'm going to put a post-it up on my mirror just to remind me of this of who you are. And Father, that I may meditate on it. Father, may I, and my prayer is for the congregation as well. May we go out and be a light to our community. May we make a difference. May the people that we come in contact, whether we're at school or in our place of work, even without saying a word, Father, I just pray that they'll be able to see your fruits in us that we will be a light to them. Father, I thank you for each of your servants that are here today that love you so much that they're here and they want to like the apostle, be like the Apostle Paul. They want to grow and know you more intimately in the power of your resurrection. Father, I just pray that you'll give each one of them a safe trip home today. The people at the conference today, I, Father, I just pray that you're doing a mighty work even right now and that it's been a joyful time that those marriages have drawn closer and they love their spouse even more today than they've ever loved them before and that you'll give them a safe trip back. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for coming. Pastor John will be here next week.